Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. Coming up on this week's episode of the podcast, I'll share more details from the Microsoft event last week, particularly around Microsoft's Copilot offering. Also, Windows 365 Boot and Windows 365 Switch are now generally available. And Google elevates the severity of a previously disclosed vulnerability in giving it a 10 out of 10 on the severity rating, whilst also disclosing a brand new zero-day vulnerability. For this and more, keep listening to this episode of the podcast, which of course is brought to you by my awesome sponsors, and that includes Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops, and also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. Control up. Happy users, happy IT. And of course, also brought to you by Netrick's Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack Cloud, or MDM to remove local admin rights and manage the lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. I recorded last week's episode whilst the Microsoft event was still going on. I did cover the fact that they did announce a release date for Copilot in Microsoft 365, which of course will be released on November 1st, but there were other announcements around Copilot made during the event after I had already recorded. For example, they covered Bing Chat Enterprise in more detail, which is something that has been covered before, uh, but again covered at this event, albeit in somewhat of a limited way. Uh, They tease that the service will have Windows-specific capabilities and skills that allow people to use natural language to ask Copilot to perform specific tasks or help them troubleshoot a problem. So, for example, how to change a certain setting within Windows. They said that Copilot in Windows will start to roll out in September 2023 in an optional non-security update for Windows 11 version 22H2 and will be available behind the commercial control for continuous innovation. And I saw in the patching Google Mail group that some have already installed that optional update and they've just been tinkering around with the various different settings and options for suppressing that. Microsoft also stated that it will be later introduced in Windows 11 version 23H2 the annual feature update for Windows 11, which should be released in Q4 of this year. With the feature update, Copilot and Windows will be on by default, but under your control with Microsoft Intune policies or group policy. So presumably Microsoft Intune policy is the same as modern policies. (laughs) I can't keep up with all the terminology changes. So strap in folks, AI is coming to Windows. It's coming to a machine near you soon, whether you like it or not. And if you're in the enterprise and you don't want that, uh, you better start to investigate how to disable it. Windows 365 Boot and Windows 365 Switch are now generally available. I've covered both on previous episodes of the podcast, but for those who did not hear those episodes, Windows 365 Boot lets employees log directly into their Windows 365 Cloud PC and designate it as the primary Windows experience on their device. When workers power on their device, Windows 365 Boot takes them to their Windows 11 login experience and then directly into their cloud PC with no additional steps in between. 
This is especially a great solution for shared devices where signing in with a unique user identity takes employees such as shift or part-time workers to their own personalized and secure cloud PC. And new with Windows 365 boot being generally available is support for Bluetooth, multiple cloud PCs, Windows 365 frontline cloud PCs, which of course is the one that's suitable for those shift workers. Uh, there's also a max timeout preference setting and security baseline profiles. I also saw that some from IGEL were sharing the IGEL integration for Windows 365, uh, which I believe aligns with Windows 365 boots capabilities. A Windows 365 switch, for those who are not familiar with that, provides the ability to easily move between a Windows 365 cloud PC and the local desktop using the familiar keyboard commands that employees know, as well as a mouse click or swipe gesture. Windows 365 switch enables a seamless experience from within Windows 11 via the task view feature and should be helpful to use in conjunction with your bring your own PC programs. So if you want to be able to enable employees to use their own devices and also be able to access their cloud PC and switch seamlessly between the two, this could be an option. It feels like these features were announced a long time ago, but it's cool that they're now available. And for Windows 365 boot, particularly the way they've put the messaging here, I guess it makes sense that they've introduced this after introducing the Windows 365 frontline cloud PCs, which I believe was only released maybe a few weeks or a couple months ago. During the week, I also saw several Microsoft employees, particularly on LinkedIn, championing the death of passwords as part of another announcement at the event around Windows Hello for business or FIDO2 security keys. They said that IT admins can now set a policy for Microsoft Entra Join devices that enables phish-resistant credentials so employees no longer see the option to enter a password when accessing company resources, both for device unlock as well as in-session authentication scenarios. If necessary, users can leverage recovery mechanisms such as Windows Hello for business pin reset our web sign-in with the features that were announced during the event. Web sign-in is now available for all supported Microsoft Entra authentication mechanisms in addition to a temporary access pass and education scenarios. In addition, employees on Windows 11 can now more easily take advantage of pass keys. After creating a passkey protected by Windows Hello for Business, the next time they sign into a website or an application, the passkey will be used and signing in as easy as just using face, fingerprint, or device pin. So perhaps if you're an iOS user or an Apple user, for example, or a macOS user, for example, uh, there's those built-in password managers and keychains, and you can use the biometrics like your fingerprint, say, for Mac or Face ID for your iOS devices. It's kind of similar to that with these pass keys. Some additional capabilities coming in Windows 11 starting this week. There's updates to Windows Firewall, including targeting firewall rules to specific applications, firewall location awareness updates, and more granular and more granular firewall lock and more granular firewall logging. There's voice access improvements, making navigating a PC with voice a breeze, which I actually find kind of interesting too, 
uh, just in relation to the being enterprise stuff that I mentioned a bit earlier. You know, Cortana didn't work out, but with AI and the natural language capabilities, uh, maybe it's time to revamp those voice controls too. And speaking of that, there's also improvements for more natural languages for the narrator feature and mobile application management for Edge on any edition of PC with Microsoft Intune. So there's specific features for managing Edge that's been released in Intune, which does make sense because they seem to handle Edge a little bit differently to some of the other Microsoft components in the OS, which presumably is because of the way that uh, browsers are regulated. You know, the whole anti-competition, choose your browser thing. Like uh, Edge updates tend to be handled a little bit differently to other general Windows updates. So perhaps it makes sense to carve out uh, a separate Edge management capabilities in Intune too. Plus, obviously the browser is one of the biggest security holes or points of concern on any device along with email. So perhaps that makes sense from that angle too. But to wrap a bow on this, they announced that a lot of the capabilities that enable going passwordless are now available generally. And in addition to the passwordless features that were announced, uh, more specific to GitHub, but bleepingcomputer.com reported that GitHub has made pass keys generally available across the platform to secure accounts against phishing and allow passwordless login for all users which I think the timing of this announcement and the way that bleepingcomputer.com just described that is interesting because this week there was a noticeable trend of attack attempts or attempts to gain access to GitHub repositories, which isn't new. Uh, that seems to happen just on a regular basis. And there has just been kind of concentrated campaigns to try and gain access to GitHub repositories in the past as well. And it seems like that is happening again right now. They say to register one or multiple pass keys, you just have to open your account security settings and click the add a pass key option. If you've previously configured security keys, you may also see an upgrade option provided they can be used as pass keys. So now that the pass keys feature is becoming available, I think we can expect or anticipate some of the Microsoft owned services to have direct integration and promotion of the passkey option. BleepyComputer.com has reported that Google are notifying Gmail users that the webmail's basic HTML view option will be deprecated in January 2024 and users will require modern browsers to continue using the service. After that date, all users of the popular webmail service will automatically be redirected to the more modern standard view, which supports all the latest usability and security features. For users of older hardware, switching to the lightweight clients like Mozilla Thunderbird and Outlook is generally maybe preferable to loading web-based platforms. Honestly, sometimes I still switch to the basic HTML view if I'm just having slowness when out and about. So for me, losing it's not going to be a major inconvenience because I am typically using newer devices that have enough resources to view the full feature-rich Gmail experience. But it is going to kind of suck to not have it there when performance is lagging and I just want to be able to read an email. 
Microsoft have released Windows 11 22H2 Moment 4. So Moment 4 is in line with Moments 3, 2, and 1. You know, it's these kind of major updates for Windows 11 and the way that they're branding them now with this kind of Moment naming. Uh, but Moment 4 is said to bring 150 new features, including some new AI-powered versions of Paint, ClipChamp, Snipping Tool, and the new Microsoft Copilot. So I've already covered a lot of the details of maybe the major new features on previous episodes of the podcast, but for example, like Paint now has a background removal tool, uh, it has that kind of similar layering feature that you might find in Paint.net or Photoshop. ClipChamp gets an auto compose feature, so it'll use AI to automatically create videos based on photos and videos that you add to the program. The update also has a never combined taskbar item. So that brings you back to the old Windows 10 and previous versions of the OS behavior, where if you launch multiple instances of an application, say multiple instances of Notepad, each one will have its own icon in the taskbar rather than being a single icon that you can hover over and then see all the different instances. Though I did read, by the way, this is bleepycomputer.com that I'm referencing for this story, but bleepycomputer.com had another article where they went through that they don't actually like the implementation of this never combined feature, saying that the taskbar icons are too large and it makes it hard to navigate, and they prefer the old way of how it was handled on Windows 10. Also in this moment four is the Windows Passkey Manager, which obviously enables the passkey features that I just talked about earlier in this episode. Uh, Notepad gets an auto-saving capability. Hooray! <laughs> Small thing, but pretty major for those of you like I, who uh, opens up Notepad and jots down like random thoughts to come back to later, you know something that just pops in the head during a conversation you want to quickly jot it down you don't want to accidentally close notepad and lose that well now it looks like there's an auto saving capability there's a windows backup tool which i've also covered on previous episodes of the podcast and there's enhanced support for different compressed file formats including .7z .rar .gz .tar .bz2 and .tgz or Z. And that's also something I've covered on previous episodes of the podcast, but these are all being kind of wrapped up and combined and delivered in this moment for updates. So these are things that were in preview previously and have been covered on this podcast, but now they're generally available via the moment for update. To read about these features and more, I'll share a link to the article that I've referenced as I do with absolutely everything I talk about on the podcast each week, and you'll find that at 5bytespodcast.com with episode 301. Google has circled back to a previously disclosed vulnerability and has assigned a new CVE, which is CVE-2023-5129, to a LibWebP security vulnerability exploited as a zero-day in attacks that was actually patched two weeks ago. But at the time, the vulnerability was not identified as being related to the open source LibWebP library, which is used to encode and decode images in WebP format. And now it is. And under this new CVE, the vulnerability gets a maximum 10 out of 10 on the severity scale. And now as it's officially recognized as a LibWebP flaw, 
It involves a heap buffer overflow in WebP impacting Google Chrome versions preceding 116.0.5845.187. It's reported that the vulnerability resides within the Huffman coding algorithm used by LibWebP for lossless compression, and it enables attackers to execute out-of-bounds memory writes using maliciously crafted HTML pages. This type of exploit can have severe consequences from crashes to arbitrary code execution and unauthorized access to sensitive information. LeapyComputer.com reports that numerous projects use this LibWebP library, including 1Password, Signal, Safari, Mozilla Firefox, Microsoft Edge, Opera, and the native Android web browsers. So just like the Log4 Shell vulnerability last year, this is one that could affect various different products that may be using this library. Also in significant Chrome news this week, Google have reported another vulnerability and said that they're aware that there's an exploit for it, and that's C2023-5217. And this is caused by a heap buffer overflow weakness in the VP8 encoding of the open source lib VPX video codec library, a flaw of which its impact ranges from app crashes to arbitrary code execution. And as usually the case, Google does not give very much uh, technical detail on this vulnerability, which made the previous vulnerability in the fact that they went back and created a new CVE and up the severity scale all the more interesting because you kind of have to read between the lines a little bit with Google and the way they disclose vulnerabilities. Uh, but regardless, update your Google Chrome, please. And this also is interesting because recently on the podcast, I covered the fact that Google is now pushing updates more regularly. So I covered on various different episodes of the podcast that I had noticed an uptick on the frequency that Google was updating the version of Chrome that was available to download but they weren't necessarily pushing the updates more regularly to the clients. You know, Google is constantly checking for updates on a set schedule within Task Scheduler and Windows, but it wasn't necessarily updating using that mechanism all that often. But now it's taking minor updates at least once a week. And it's not surprising why if you listen to the podcast and you hear about all these zero day vulnerabilities. Recently, the Hacker News reported on a critical security vulnerability in the JetBrains TeamCity product, which is a continuous integration and continuous deployment software, and it could be exploited by unauthenticated attackers to achieve remote code execution on affected systems. The flaw is tracked as CVE-2023-42793 and carries a severity rating of 9.8 out of 10. And this has been addressed in Team City version 2023.05.4. The hacker news suggests that attackers could leverage this access to steal source code, server secrets, and private keys, plus take control over attached build agents and poison build artifacts. The awesome Kim Setter mentioned on Twitter that, as you may recall, SolarWinds used JetBrains Team City system to build the backdoor to Ryan code. JetBrains has recommended users to upgrade as soon as possible, and it has also released a security patch plugin for TeamCity versions 8.0 and above to specifically address the flaw. So if you're using this in your development to avoid supply chain attacks, 
patch this as soon as possible. And if you haven't patched already, I mean, the average for exploits after disclosure is within seven days. But considering this is high value, it could have been shorter than seven days. So you may want to look at your systems if you haven't patched already. Master Packager have launched a new Master Packager dev product, which they say is designed to enable developers to create enterprise quality Windows application packages that end users love, enterprises want, and the Windows OS needs. And these package types are mainly MSI and MSIX. Tom's Nostenberg said that they're determined to lead the new movement dedicated to changing the system at its root for most app management problems. Tom's asked why nothing has changed in 20 plus years, which that's absolutely true. It's crazy. I think uh, MSI or Windows installer uh, was available since about 2000, so 23 years. And he stated that he believes that the main reason is that ISVs do not fully understand the needs of larger organizations. <laughs> yeah, preach. I mean, if you look at the quality of MSI packages that have been delivered by vendors, it's that's a very true statement. And then he says that Microsoft has done very little to educate software vendors and change the culture of delivering unprofessional installer packages, causing thousands of organizations to spend millions of dollars on rework instead of focusing on their core business. And he believes that we need to help them answer questions such as, why application packages must be built in a certain way and how much will it cost. He says Master Packager will focus on explaining why installer packages must be created in a certain way and providing solutions that will enable developers to create and automate professional MSI and MSIX packages in minutes, not days. And with the Master Packager dev, there will be no need to learn how MSI and MSIX technologies work. Uh, you'll simply define what you want to install and where it should be placed. You'll be able to generate both MSI and MSIX packages from a single project file and receive validation notifications that highlight MSIX limitations and security improvements, along with other features to enable developers to build better packages more easily. And best of all, it's affordable. There is a small fee for small businesses and enterprises, no per developer or per package fees incurred, just one license for one organization. And for non-commercial and open source projects, Master Packager Dev is free. So yes, this would definitely be amazing if developers were actually to take this up and start developing usable packages, preferably in MSIX in my opinion, though the way the wind is going, it seems like Microsoft is actually incentivizing or pushing developers to continue down the path of developing their Win32 package types like MSI uh, because they're embracing it with things like Windows Package Manager, which is being hooked into not only the store, but now within the Intune add-ons that are coming. This does not really help things in terms of modernizing the application management, in my opinion. So Master Packager Dev, if they can get more developers to embrace something like MSIX, I think that will be a net win for everyone. And from a professional standpoint, since I work with CloudPager and Numescent, it would be great if we could get more MSIX packages because we have a really good story to tell on our product front when it comes to managing these MSIX containers and other container formats too. So congratulations to Master Packager and I encourage everyone to check it out.
Congrats to show sponsor Netrix, who are recognized as a visionary in the Magic Quadrant by Gartner for privileged access management, our PAM. And this is thanks to the Netrix Privileged Secure product, which is their just-in-time privileged access solution, and due to their ability to execute and the completeness of their vision in this space. Patch My PC issued an advisory recently as they use VirusTotal as part of their process for vetting applications. Their advisory addresses the information leak reported by VirusTotal that started back on 21st of July, 2023, which was caused by a VirusTotal employee accidentally sharing their customer list with their partner network. And as Patch My PC is a customer of VirusTotal, which several different vendors are, they were notified a company email address was shared. Their advisory was to clarify that no Patch My PC customer data was involved and they've classified this impact as low to none. And while no customer data was involved, they felt an obligation to notify the customer base that a Patch My PC email address was shared. So hopefully this is just a nothing burger and fair play to Patch My PC for publicly disclosing this, even though it's likely to really be nothing. And finally in the news for this week, congratulations to Google. <laughs> I know congratulating such a huge company on such a small podcast is a bit ridiculous, but hey, congratulations to Google anyway, as they celebrated their 25th anniversary this week. They marked the occasion by changing the Google logo to a special animated logo that was a time-lapse of sorts of Google logos from the past, and it ended with a Google logo that had the uh, OO replaced with the number 25. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. So first up, my buddy Shane O'Neill hosted a really great webinar, which I believe was the first in a series of webinars that are going to be hosted by Enterprise Solutions. This one was like a panel discussion on general enterprise security, and it covered the whole gamut. It covered network security um, down to like device and application security too. I thought it was a really excellent discussion and I picked up some uh, very interesting metrics and just interesting ways of framing security. I believe there was a comment about, you know, having a house and having an alarm in the house and that's one layer of security. Uh, but then having an alarm and also having a dog is another layer of security. So I thought that was a pretty interesting way to frame things. You know, an attacker may see, oh, house alarm in this house, the next house over, no house alarm. So that one's a, a more prime target to attack. Or, oh, house alarm in this house, house alarm and a dog in this house, no house alarm. Well, <laughs> you know, you could see the order of which one would be the most accessible target. There was also a really eye-opening metric of the fact that 91% of breaches start with an email, which, yeah, that's something that's pretty obvious. And I even mentioned it a little bit earlier around security of the browser and email being the more common vectors for attack. But what was interesting was, I believe it was stated that 91% of breaches starting with an email has been the case for the better part of the last 10 years. So it hasn't really changed in the landscape much. But also this week, I saw that Tom Howarth shared that he'll be running an online tutoring course with small classes for anyone who's interested in learning Terraform. The class will cost $1,400 
and it includes a voucher for the Terraform Associate Exam. There are a few places still available for the next course that will take place in November, and you can DM Tom for details. And I'll share a link to Tom's Twitter, or X, so you can DM him if you're interested. It looks like the EUC Forum have published the details for the next meetup, which will be held in London on the 21st of November. It looks like there's no details on the actual agenda and who will be speaking yet, but I did notice, thanks to some of my peers, that a registration and the date has been shared, which again is the 21st November in London. And finally, the awesome Tom Fenton recently published a review of the AgeMagic AD15 Mini PC, and he kind of framed it in regards to the recent developments that Intel is stepping away from the Nooks, which are a very common and popular mini PC. So he kind of puts this up against some of those nooks. And for me, I've kind of spun down a lot of my mini PCs, but I would be interested in getting just one more. So I have been looking for some nook alternatives because I'm not too sure if I want to continue on with them since I've only been getting about a four or five year lifespan of them. But that's it for this episode of the podcast. Before I sign off, just a reminder that as part of my 300th episode, I am doing a giveaway of the latest Stream Deck Plus, which is a really cool variation on the Stream Deck that not only lets you to program these kind of soft buttons to do tasks, but it also has some dials for controlling audio inputs like volume and stuff like that. So if you're interested in winning one of those for yourself, it's very simple. I'll have a link that's shared with this episode, which again is episode 301. Just give your name, email address, so I'm able to contact you if you win, and just verify date of birth to to show that you're over 18. You don't even have to put in your real date of birth. I don't care about that. It's just a part of the process to verify that you're over 18 for the sake of entering the competition. I plan to do the draw on the 31st of October, so be sure to get your name into the hat. But as always, thank you so much for listening.